Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Jeff, how long has it been? It's been a long time. Oh, too long. Yeah, because we didn't do Cut for Time from Christmas Eve morning. I think we kind of decided most people were probably not going to listen to Cut for Time uh, as like their Christmas expression as a family. Well, we've actually, we didn't do it through Advent at all. Right. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Um, So, all right, Jeff. I mean, I think you're in a hard spot because I feel like we know that this text or this story has been like retold three times. And so you unfortunately have the third time where it's like, can you come up with any new material? Well, you did, but can you give us, that's just a hard job, you know? Um, Can you just give us a rundown? Maybe something like from the unique perspective of the third retelling, Mm. because we've heard this many times now. So like, okay, and now we're about to move on. What do we need to remember? Yeah. And carry with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we looked at this passage in the first half of uh, Acts chapter 11, where Peter has gone to the house of this Gentile. He's crossed all these boundaries and the church, the people, the believers back in Jerusalem hear about it. And they're like, wait, that is not something that's okay. And so that's really the prompting here to this particular retelling of the story is it's Peter is having to give a justification for why he crossed this boundary that you just do not cross and did something that seemed to these other believers as just like way out of bounds and dishonoring to God and just inconceivable. So that's really sort of the the prompting and a bit of what becomes the focus of this passage is Peter uh, needing to give an explanation, rationalization, to these other Christians who have a legitimate concern. But then the whole flow of the passage is this great transformation that happens among these other Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem who start out being offended, upset, and really ready to, you know, call Peter to task. And by the end of the passage, they're silent and then responding with, okay, so God has done something here and we need to acknowledge that and actually celebrate it. So that was kind of what it was trying to bring out was what is it that happens here in this passage and what is what does that do for us too? Um, what are the barriers and boundaries that maybe we have ourselves internally in terms of the kinds of people that we have a hard time imagining God could actually reach or, or the kinds of ways that we think God would never do that or would never be working in those people. Uh, what, uh, what are the maybe even kind of mental limitations that we have in terms of why I can't imagine that God would ever do that. And I know for myself, like I can fall into that and just not really believe, oh, you know, it's hard to believe God would actually work in that family member's life who just seems so closed off to Jesus and not interested at all. And that's how these Jewish followers of Jesus thought about Gentiles. And then it, and then we see the kind of response that seeing what God has done 
prompts in God's people. This uh, I love this the the picture of humility and sensitivity to God's spirit from these people who start out again kind of offended, maybe even a little angry, but when they really consider and listen, they they don't have any more objection and they glorify God saying, "Okay, well then that's what God is doing and praise the Lord." which is just amazing, right? Like it's so mature and refreshing to hear that. It is because you could also see the story going like, no, we've put in the work for the last thousands of years of being God's people. And why do you just get to join the party? You're late to the game, guys. Like That's awesome. Don't you think? Right, yeah, because exactly what you're saying just also makes me think of that exact dynamic that Jesus tells the parable about the prodigal son, right? Like here's these pagan Gentiles that are off living this wild lifestyle. They don't even think about God. And here we are, your people, we've been toiling and working all this time. And now this other kid comes in and gets all the good stuff. And right. So that's a great uh, uh, comparison because here God's people unlike the the people that Jesus tells the parable to and about, they kind of go away upset at seeing Jesus, you know, reaching out to these people that they think don't deserve God's kindness and attention. Mm -hmm. And here God's people are saying, oh, okay, well, obviously God is doing something here. And so we have to not only get on board with that, we can celebrate that and be thankful Like they're filling in, man, you just helped me see something awesome. That's great. Like they're giving the response that the older brother should have given in the parable. Like, wow, I'm so thankful my brothers come home. Praise the Lord. None of us deserves God's outrageous goodness. And I'm so glad that my brother has found it and is living. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. Well, we just helped each other out a little bit. Hopefully that was awesome. (laughs) A little new perspective. Um, Okay, so just a text question for you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, when the um, when the passage says that these people were like baptized in the spirit, mm. and then they were, and then we see the spirit working in them in ways that when we are baptized aren't happening maybe in the same way so what did it really mean to be baptized in the spirit and why is it Mm. looking different now thousands of years later (laughs) the aftermath you know oh man that's a that's a really good question Uh, part text part application yeah no no and and there are obviously you know there are branches of Christianity, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who would look at what happens on Pentecost and then in examples like this and say, actually, we should expect that that happens. That like is Acts telling us this is the normal pattern. And I would say, and I think probably a lot of us at Faith Church would say, well, actually, when you look across the book of Acts, you see the spirit moving in all kinds of different ways. We already saw with the Samaritans, like they'd already come to faith in Jesus and they hadn't even received the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, and then these Gentile Gentiles uh, are baptized in the Holy Spirit before they're baptized in water. And like, it's just, and then we don't really hear anything like this happening in this dramatic a way as the story is going to go forward, like going out into the Gentile world, like there are all kinds of people that are coming to faith in Christ and we don't hear them 
speaking in other languages and praising God. So I don't think Acts is intending, Luke is intending to give us like the pattern. If anything, we could say the pattern is the spirit moves where he will and does what he wants. So, you know, I think I, and probably again, most of us, a lot of us at faith would say this initial work of the, the presence of the spirit being demonstrated in speaking in other languages and causing people to, you know, bring glory to God through that may have been for a specific time and a specific reason that was about the, the, in a sense, God picturing, um, you know, you can almost say like the undoing of the Tower of Babel, where all the languages get confused and nobody understands each other. And now God is demonstrating that he's bringing the nations back together again in Christ. And why that doesn't get repeated as that like goes out through the rest of the Roman world Maybe it's because almost everyone was already speaking Greek and a lot of them could already understand each other. Um, But that doesn't seem to be the evidence of the Spirit's work in someone's life, like as an ongoing pattern. What does seem to happen, though, that gets the what what happens when the Spirit falls on these people is not just I don't think the significance is that they're speaking in other tongues as much as that they are raising God. And I think that we could say is an evidence of the spirit that absolutely is going to continue and does continue. Like, how do I know if someone really does have the spirit of God living in them? Well, are they being led by the spirit? Like John writes in his letter, no one can say except by the spirit, Jesus is Lord. Now, I mean, people can literally say those words, but you understand what he means. Like no one can genuinely say from their heart, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen. Jesus is the savior of my life without the spirit really prompting that. So is there an evidence of someone showing like, I really love Jesus and and God has brought me to a point where I can see he is my life. He's my treasure. He's my Lord. He's the one that I want my life to be about. No one says that without really having the spirit working in them. So I think the significance of the spirit's work here is, yeah, I mean, the the, the speaking in other languages is a demonstration of God's power and uniting people. But the really significant part of that, I think the evidence is that people are being moved to see Jesus as worthy and beautiful and life-giving and the, the center of my life and everything. Um, so I think that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so I think that it's possible, right? When we read this story and the Jews are hearing of the gospel, like the intention of the gospel to be for everyone. And mm. they could have been, they were initially very cautious, like, wait, how do we know, right? And mm. um, maybe like a little offensive it seems offensive at first until they hear it explained or whatever um how do we if we are confronted with something about whether it's the essence of the gospel or something of god's character or something that we are at first offended by or we are Mm. like is that true and we need to discern yes it is that is like 
then in our it is our theology that is wrong and that's why we mm. felt that offensive mm. tension mm. or um actually it's a good feeling because what is happening is not true or true to god's mm. character or true to the gospel like how do we um take that feeling of tension and then like kind of work it out and discern mm. Mm. is it this is it the truth is it not yeah. Wow. That's man. That's a huge question. Really good one. There's, there's a lot there. Um, yeah, I, uh, so wow. A number of things come to mind. One would be what we were just talking about. Like, are these people really following Jesus? Are they really honoring him? Well, it, is there evidence of that in their lives? Right? Like uh, it could be, boy, I really question if they're, you know, right with Jesus because of maybe some secondary issue of doctrine or some practice or some way that they're reading the Bible that's different than mine. And so one is just good for us to maintain a humility about that uh, and recognize like there's just a lot of stuff that Christians have debated and disagreed over ever since we've had followers of Jesus, right? And yeah, most brilliant minds mean, have spent right. years and years debating and we still can't decide. Right, right. Like baptism, like do we baptize infants? Do we baptize believers? And what does baptism do? What does baptism do? And does it do anything? And the Lord's Supper and who should be taking it? And yeah, I mean, so many things. What is our relationship to the governing authorities? And what, right, like how do we... Yeah. Yeah, there, there's just a lot of stuff that Christians, we have to be able to agree to disagree over. So one is like, how significant is this really? Like, is this something that goes to the fundamental nature of who Jesus is and who God is and what it means to be saved and how I come to know him? Or is it stuff that's, you know, a little farther down in terms of importance that maybe it's a conviction I have and maybe it's really important to me, but can I step back from that? And uh, I think this, you know, kind of gets to a, another angle of maybe what you were asking is, is like, a, can I look through scripture or are other people looking through scripture and finding, even if I don't agree with their interpretation, at least they have some biblical basis for it, right? Like, what does God's word actually say? Maybe there's something that it's really a cut and dried issue. It's just black and white. But it could be something that it's like you could, okay, maybe there's a gray area there and they're seeing it differently because they're coming at it from a different angle. And that doesn't mean they're unbiblical. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not honoring God. They may just see it differently and prioritize things differently. Um, have I, you know, praying about it is also always important, right? Like, have I really prayed about how to understand this? And ask God to give me wisdom to discern, is this like a primary foundational, uh, you know, thing that would say someone's either with Christ or not with Christ? Or is it, again, something that I disagree with, but, uh, you know, it doesn't mean the person that disagrees with me is not following Jesus. So I, yeah, I think prayer and praying that the Spirit would give us wisdom and discernment and knowing God's word and going back to God's word and asking him to help us understand and maybe even just dialoguing with that person too, to understand where they're coming from uh, and and why they would see things differently. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, all the responses, I didn't expect you to say, just talk to them. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> why didn't I think about that? <laughs> like, 
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, again, I think it's this is what I love about in verse 18 about these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of Jesus, uh, when they heard these things from Peter, like they're going in, it almost sounds like either he's getting called into the principal's office and he's getting, you know, getting called on the carpet. And, but they actually listen to him and they actually consider and and they, you know, discern from Peter is saying like, well, they were baptized in the spirit and they were praising God and God gave them the same gift that he gave to us. And they're like, oh, okay, we didn't know that. We hadn't considered that. And so then praise God. I guess he's doing something different than we would have expected, but he's obviously at work because they're praising Jesus and they want to follow him and they're giving their lives to him. And okay, then thank you for letting us know that and praise God. I think that's just one of the things that I've loved about the evangelical free church too, that, that we're part of is I think we really take seriously that, you know, the saying major on the majors and minor on the minors, mm -hmm. uh, or there, you know, an older saying that I think has maybe been attributed. I don't remember to Augustine or uh, Aquinas, maybe um, in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And that's just such a good rule of thumb, especially in the, you know, the age that we live in now where it's just everyone is so angry and all the time and looking Quick for to be offended. Yes. Looking yeah. for things to be angry about and looking for a reason to disqualify someone or put them on the outside, declare they're an enemy because they're not totally marching in lockstep with me. And the reminder that, okay, um, in essentials, yeah, we need to have unity. We have to give each other liberty that we want for ourselves and non-essentials. And ultimately, in all things, Jesus calls us to love one another. Mm -hmm. So and I think the problem is like, if we hold our beliefs as the truth, then that's when we can become so quickly offended or frustrated that other people aren't doing what we, what is we've identified as truth. But as Christians, uh, we need to step back and be like, it's not our truth. It is like literally there's one truth and it is the gospel. It's the word. And yeah. that's what we can hold to um, instead of like, sometimes we just forget that whatever we've already made up in our mind is not, mm. <laughs> we, not everyone thinks the way we think and comes from yeah. where we've come from. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not the, that's not the truth for everyone. The right. way that the gospel is. Right. And it's okay that, I mean, Paul even just recognizes this in his letters, right? Like, you guys are going to disagree about what foods are appropriate to eat and whether you recognize some days as more sacred than others or whether all days are alike or, you know, all kinds of things. And we have to prioritize giving each other grace and letting that person be responsible to Jesus for the choices they're making and love one another. Mm -hmm. So even if they're wrong, I'm still called to love them and treat them as a sister or a brother. Green. Thank you, Jeff, for your time today. Thank you, Claire. This has been good. Yeah. We look forward to hearing more from you next week. All right. Lord willing. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.